Here's what you get on today's episode of Guts, Grit, and Great Business. Whoa, our world is on fire. No, you can't do single bottom line business and pretend that's fine anymore, right? So if anybody's listening and they're like, ooh, I'm scared, I don't want to touch that. One of the things I say is like, well, do you want to have, do you want to continue to have clients or customers who are under the age of 40? Because if you do, you might want to pay attention to this because otherwise they're going to not work for you or leave if they are work for you and they'll stop buying from you because in almost every domain, from where we get our energy to what clothes we wear to what food we eat, every sector is seeing rapid, radical, massive change. And that's me and my networks. <laughs> like, we're, like we're not taking no for it. Like this is the only planet we've got right now that our kids are at stake, our grandchildren, like we're not messing around. Like we're going to disrupt these spaces as fast as possible. So you can try to play it safe, but there's some really smart people working on this with everything they got. So I'm going to encourage you to say, maybe that's not the safest plan, right? The adventure of entrepreneurship and building a life and business you love, preferably at the same time, is not for the faint of heart. That's why Heather Pierce Campbell is bringing you a dose of guts, grit, and great business stories that will inspire and motivate you to create what you want in your business and life. Welcome to the Guts, Grit, and Great Business Podcast, where endurance is required. Now here's your host, the legal website warrior, Heather Pierce Campbell. Alrighty, welcome. I am Heather Pierce Campbell, the legal website warrior. I'm an attorney and legal coach serving online information entrepreneurs throughout the US and the world. Welcome to another episode of Guts, Grit, and Great Business. I am so excited about today's returning guest. Welcome to my friend, Paul Zelizer. Thanks so much for having me, Heather, and thanks for hanging in there with hosting a podcast show for as long as you have. I know that that takes a lot of work. Yes, it does. And I'm trying to think now how far into it we are, right? So I launched this, it would have been, oh my gosh, would have been June 2020, right after COVID hit. So, oh, over, so you were a you were a COVID baby podcast. A COVID podcast baby. <laughs> I had a I had a, a COVID podcast baby. Yes. And the funny thing is so that's over 2 years. Here I was thinking like what is it? Year and a half? No. Oh, you're coming up on 3. I know. That's so crazy. So, wow. um yeah, I actually feel really proud about hanging in there because it's been weekly since I started, there were a couple of weeks where even I had so much content I did bi-weekly. Generally, I, it's very consistent weekly. And aside from like a week or two, maybe where I was sick and just couldn't for whatever reason, but that would have been the earlier days because I pre-recorded so much. Like I'm just now getting to a pace where people are about three months out instead of six months out. Right. So <laughs> yeah. When I had the podcast baby, I decided that I did not want this baby to ever stress me out. I wanted yeah. it to be a place where I could show up and like really enjoy myself and have fun. And luckily, for the most part, that has been what it is. Oh, I'm so glad. To, I love podcasting. It's awesome. Yeah. Well, welcome, Paul. For those of you that don't know Paul, Paul is one of the first business coaches to focus on the needs of social entrepreneurs and impact business leaders. 
He is the former director of social media for Wisdom 2.0, one of the premier conscious business brands in the world. In 2017, he founded Awarepreneurs. Two of the things the company is known for is their popular social entrepreneur podcast and the Awarepreneurs community. For those listening, pop over and check out Paul's podcast. He is amazing. And you, well, you can find him in a couple different places, but he has a podcast and then he's also a business coach at his own domain at paulzelizer.com. But Paul, you have absolutely one of my favorite podcasts and And it's because you're the guy behind the podcast. And I think it's really rare to find people who walk the talk so to the letter. Like if you guys don't know Paul, I would love for you to hop over and follow him. Like Paul, even watching your journey where I don't know what the language is, you divorced Facebook, right? (laughs) (laughs) We've been in touch a few years and I got to watch you through that journey. And even now I enjoy your posts so much when you're like people, I'm on LinkedIn. Like you want to have a real conversation, come over and find me on LinkedIn. But like you, I know it's really hard for people, I think, to do it to the level that you do it. And the other thing that I admire so much about you is like during this time that has been pretty hard on a lot of people in my circle and truthfully myself included as a parent to littles, you have been one of the few that are like, you know what? Life is good. Like you, you are a shining light of what it means to exemplify, first of all, your personal values, but also balance and really like create a life very intentionally that allows you that. And I know that's not easy to do. Heather, I'm an introvert. So like the introvert part of me wants to like go crawl away. <laughs> I, don't, I don't naturally talk about myself very much. Right. <laughs> but it's fine. I'm good. I know what I signed up for. <laughs> One of the things I would say is, you know, I have a kid, as you know, in grad school yes. in Seattle, right? Congratulations, we miss each other. I'm going to see you in person soon, but you know, my, my kid is in grad school. I have one child. Yeah. So I, I want to just a deep out of you and to all the parents who are growing businesses and leading businesses and parenting. It It's smoother now. I'm 55 years old. My kid, you know, I've been at this 16 years. I have a podcast that's one of the longest running in my space. So, so yes, thank you. And, and it has not been this uh, well oiled <laughs> at other times in my life, it's been chaotic and hard. And we were talking about, you know, I had a pretty rough, you know, lots of stress period and adrenals fatigue. I don't know, that was seven or eight years ago. Like, so I just want to be fully transparent. Yes. Things are going really, really well right now. And I'm super grateful, but that's not, I've been in business 16 years. That is not even been the majority. I don't know. It's only been in the last five or six years that things started to work together and I put some systems into place and had a podcast that got traction and is getting traction that allows me to live the life that you're talking about. So if somebody's listening, like, oh, my life isn't that great. <laughs> I just full transparency. There's been a lot of ground gears and a lot of stressful nights and I could have made it easier earlier on knowing some of the things I know now, mm. but it was not uh, an easy journey to to get to a place where my business was sustaining me both revenue wise and quality of life wise. Yeah. Well, and I get it. And I, I always appreciate your honesty. And 
I really have just had tremendous joy watching you from the sidelines and, mm. and watching how well you have been doing and how much you enjoy what you do and your message and your podcast. It really is a beautiful thing. Life's pretty fun right now. And, and I'm super grateful for that. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, welcome. I'm so happy to have you back. I am, um, you know, I feel like there's 80 gazillion things that we could talk about today. For folks that are listening, especially if you want to hear about Paul's early journey, because I know we covered that in the first episode, and I will share the link to that episode in our show notes as well. But today I would really love, and we had chatted, you know, some time ago when we talked about scheduling this, about this intersection of impact-based businesses that, you know, you work exclusively in the impact-based business space, conscious entrepreneur space. I know it goes by various labels and really you know, like we were just saying now beyond the startup, working more and more with the grow up companies and ones that are more established that are actually really making ripples in the in the tide pool, you know, which has to just be a tremendously exciting thing for you to be a part of and to watch and support. Can you talk to us a little bit about that work about what those clients are doing differently than other people in the business marketplace? Yeah, it's a great question, Heather. There's there's both what the clients are doing and then there's what the market, the market has shifted radically. Mm. I've been doing this for 16 years now under various brands. I was just talking to another social impact podcaster earlier today and we were saying like, 16 years ago, or even 10 years ago, we didn't even know how to talk to each other. Is it conscious business? Is it social enterprise? Is it impact business? Is it uh, conscious capitalism? What is it? Yes. Right. And, and like, which hashtags do we find each other? Whatever, like, like which <laughs> conference do we go to? Right. Um, so, so a lot has changed mm. and so has sort of the, larger culture is recognizing certain things that were more a smaller percentage of people were thinking about or talking about, whether that is climate change or whether that is some of the other, um, the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. There's 17 of them. Go back 10 years, most people didn't even know what the SDGs were. And now it's like very common, even in mainstream business, to be talking about the sustainable business, uh, sustainable development goals. Mm -hmm. So, so that's just an example that the market has shifted, as has the level of business acumen in the social entrepreneur space. Yeah. Go back 10, 12 years ago, most social entrepreneurs oftentimes, you know, I don't come from a business background. They were like me. I was a do-gooder. I came from community mental health and community organizing. And, uh, you know, had a sense that there had to be a way to leverage business for positive impact. But I didn't know how to do it. <laughs> I, I had a lot to learn, <laughs> right? And nowadays, we have some of the most kick-ass business leaders in the world coming into, we, we see a lot of very, very skilled tech people, for instance, mm. jumping ship for more traditional tech companies into the climate space because they're looking around saying the world's on fire and I can't keep working for fill in the blank of whatever mm. big tech company comes to mind. I'm going into climate, even if it means a pay cut, I got to do this, right? And we weren't seeing that kind of shift 
in the willingness of people to who had very strong skill sets and lots of experience to say, I'm either going to join a startup or create one. Um, mm-hmm. So, so it's both the level of business acumen, wherever somebody's formal training is, even somebody like me who didn't have a lot of training, we just have better pathways, incubators, mm-hmm. accelerators, training courses, coaches who specialize in this area all over the world, plus just the level of conversation in the ecosystem is orders of magnitude, just more skillful, more Mm -hmm. nuanced, and the market wants it. So there's more money to be made in these kind of businesses. It's, um, I mean, I have so many questions, even just around that bit that you shared. One, does it give you hope about where we're headed? Uh, you know, yes, totally. I just did a podcast that went live on Sunday and it was all about um, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning and, and toxic positivity versus what he called tragic optimism. And he wrote Man's Search for Meaning in a concentration camp and he was an incredibly optimistic mm. human who also had to deal with some really, really hard stuff. So um, yeah, I feel a little bit like that. Like I have a front row seat just because of the work I do to some of the hardest things that humans have to deal with. And that a lot of people um, would prefer to deny or outright explicitly say aren't happening when we know we have the data that they are. And, but I also have a front row seat to all of the incredible humans pouring their work energy, their hearts, their souls, their creativity into creating solutions and growing them and scaling them so I don't know if we're going to go off a cliff or not. We could, but mm-hmm. every day I go to work, I work with some of the smartest, most compassionate, most like loving human beings doing the most incredible work. So I get up and go to work, not knowing if I don't think we're going to go off a cliff, but we might. Mm-hmm. And I, I hope we don't. And I'm dedicating yeah. my life to being part of the people working for change. Mm-hmm. Before that answer, I also wanted to ask, what do you think are the inputs driving the change in the market? I heard you obviously reference the climate stuff and how I think so many people are experiencing that literally firsthand, right? It's it's virtually impossible for so many of us to deny that that's happening. I know yeah. some people still try. Um, so that seems like something that's an obvious, what else are you seeing that's driving the change in the market? There's a couple things, just like going back to climate. I'll give you an example. I live in New Mexico. We had the worst fire season in recorded history, about 112 years last Mm -hmm. summer. It was horrendous. There were weeks we couldn't go out. I'm a trail runner. Like we, it was really hard to go outside because your eyes were burning. Like it, it was really not only just our own fires in New Mexico, but also like other, you know, Western states. Yes. The Rio Grande is drying up for the first time, like ever in the winter when it's supposed to be snowmelt. Like Mm. you, if you're paying attention, it's hard to miss certain things. And I've been Mm. here since 93 and I remember it didn't used to be like this. Right. So anyway, Mm. there's that, but also Across the board, we're just seeing more cultural dialogue. Some of it's very polarized, but whether it's diversity, equity, and inclusion issues, or you know, women in the workplace, mm-hmm. we're seeing this immense exodus of women business leaders leaving traditional business and starting their own. 
particularly women of color. And you can like, like say, well, that's just blood, like, but whatever it is, it's a trend unlike anything we've seen in our lifetime. The level of entrepreneurship for women in, of color mm. is like just jaw dropping. And part of it is because women of color are just really tired of being treated like crap in the business world, getting passed yep. over, getting their ideas stolen, sexual harassment. There's like, we're done. <laughs> and then we're seeing other infrastructure come into place. So for instance, I'm interviewing one of the leaders of a, it's a crowdfunding platform called Seed at the Table. And mm-hmm. it's just for brown and black founders, right? Mm-hmm. Because traditional VC funding is really not doing well getting mm-hmm. money into the hands of either women founders or brown and black founders. And so people are creating, rather than just complain about it, people are creating new infrastructure. Okay, we know that communities of color are starting businesses at record rates. Mm-hmm. Accessing capital is a huge issue in the there's been slight movement before COVID, but it actually got worse, particularly yep. for women founders during COVID. It yep. went down, it got it like edged up just over two percent. Now it's down <laughs> less than two percent. <laughs> and isn't like, it? I if know. I had any hair, I would tear it out. Heather. I know, <laughs> less I get than two percent, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But people are creating infrastructure like seat at the table and many other solutions. Okay, right? You can't, you don't see the opportunity VCs in a more traditional, great, we'll make our own, right? And I just see that spirit of like, there's hard problems. We're going to try to help more traditional players in a space, whether it's government or VCs. And there has been certain movement, but a lot of the movement has come from people creating innovations and disrupting it. Mm-hmm. And when you get enough women who get enough capital and start creating successful business, women start funding women through a variety of mechanisms and founders of color start funding other founders of color. And suddenly people aren't waiting for the people who've been in charge. We're creating new. Right. The system to change. Yeah, exactly. Now, I remember reading an article, it was fairly late in COVID about even, you know, Seattle, we have a basically a housing crisis, right? Like, people are really being forced to move out of the city if they're not the top earners. It's, you know, we're obviously in a recession now. So I'm personally hoping there's even though I'm a a homeowner that there's some price adjustment that makes this city more livable. Who knows if that will happen? Um, the fact that all of the big tech companies have had to do a bunch of layoffs is an interesting development because what does that do to open up housing for folks that are of more moderate means, you know, so who knows, maybe it will rebalance, maybe it won't. But I read an article that talked about how people of color were, you know, increasingly unable to own any real estate. And it's just like, gosh, it's, it can be really challenging to see like how to have the hope in light of all of the evidence that we see every day about the system not changing, right? And it's just unbelievable to me that anybody, I don't know, and, and, and maybe this is really just reflective of what happens when systems and structures are built in a certain way and how challenging it is to reshape those. It, it's incredibly frustrating, Heather. Not only are people of color struggling to be able to enter into home ownership, mm-hmm. but the homes and communities where there's higher 
levels of people, families of color living, they're valued less. Even if on paper, there's the same level of, you know, the quality of the schools or access to parks, like a middle-class black neighborhood in a city, mostly black, and a middle-class white neighborhood, which have very similar, the size of the houses and the yard and all these things, the black neighborhood is quite a bit less, right? So even when you can find your way into one of the biggest levers for creating intergenerational wealth, if you're a family you of still color, don't have the same you opportunities. still don't get the same lift yep. as somebody build that. who looks like me, right? Yeah. So and again, I get to do, so I working as an advisor with this incredible initiative here in Albuquerque, redeveloping what used to be called the war zone by locals. It's now called the international district. And this incredible black social entrepreneur who I blessed to call a friend is working on a redevelopment fund that includes affordable housing and like to watch our city come together and the leaders with connections to help this initiative get wings is like so that's what i mean there's like these really hard things and then it's not theoretical like this exact issue there's emails going back and forth in my inbox like today and yesterday and good things are happening in that um area and that's like not far from my house and these are people i know and love and break bread with so Mm. That's why I'm very optimistic, even amidst these really hard um, challenges that humans are facing. I, I feel incredibly blessed to personally know and do as much as I can in mm. multiple impact areas where there's big challenges. And because I've been doing it for a while, there's ways I can be helpful that um somebody who's newer, they're passionate, they have a great idea, but they might not be able to send an email or two and have some significant things that move the needle. And Mm -hmm. because I've been around for a while, uh, there's times that I can do that. And that feels really good. Mm, First of all, I love you reflecting that and, and the ways that focusing on the work and the impact that you can have is such a for lack of a better term, such a salve, right? In light of the news and everything going on, like as a mom and somebody who feels the weight of the world, I've had to really get clear on like, okay, I can't solve all these problems, but there are some problems that I can help solve. And that like my work and what I can give has to be enough. That's been a hard thing to arrive at. Yeah. And and I think the question is, can we look ourselves, somebody, somebody um, who I trust a lot mm-hmm. asked me to start doing a practice. And the simple practice was to look in the mirror and be able to like see myself interacting with the future generations. I used to do a lot of work on the pueblos of northern New Mexico in my social worker days. So so from that tradition, there's a there's a and, and also from my own tradition of Judaism, um, there's this understanding that we have an ethical responsibility not just to think about ourselves, but also to think about the future generations. You know, indigenous communities, Jewish communities, we're not the only ones, but those are those are two examples I'm pretty mm-hmm. familiar with because of my work history and my own personal lineage. So like you look yourself in the mirror and you're like looking into the eyes of the future generations, whether it's my own kid or my nephew or 
my neighbors, you know, grandchild, whoever it is, not just my literal like blood lineage, but all the children. Can mm. I look them in the eye and say, in this incredibly challenging, beautiful moment that humans find ourselves in, can I look them in the eye and say, this is what I was doing in that time. And I feel good about that. Like it was, it maybe there I could have done something a little better with some knowledge from the future, but right here, right now, me, Paul, Zell, I can look my, my kid knows what I do for a living. <laughs> right? um, I, I, I literally don't know how to do more than what I'm currently doing with all my creativity and conviction and passion and energy and resources. And then I go trail run and spend time mm. with my loved ones. And like I said, if we go off a cliff, I literally am doing everything I know how to do to bring positive change into the world. And then it's time to go for a run or take a nap or cook a meal or hang out with a friend. Like I'm done when I'm yeah. done. And then tomorrow I'll pick it back up. Mm, it's such a wonderful litmus test, that question. And, you know, I commend you on being able to find that balance. I think it can be really hard for some people to turn that off and say, no. okay, now I do get to have time for myself. Now I do get to go just enjoy this thing called life, right? And in, in the face of everything that we see, sometimes it can just be hard to feel like we are like, or or somehow we're overprivileged or or whatever to be able to even get to enjoy it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's, there's a lot of wisdom, I think, in the transformative power of joy. That mm -hmm. conversation has risen more, particularly in communities that have been more squashed down. Really right? through it. Yes. Like, like, yes, there's a lot of work and activism and change making that wants to happen. And like, can we just breathe together and mm -hmm. celebrate we're alive to, you know, as a Jew, from Poland. My family is originally from 20 minutes outside of Warsaw. If anybody's ever heard of the Warsaw ghetto mm -hmm. uprising, that's where my family, the fact that I'm a Jew and I'm alive is a miracle, a freaking miracle. <laughs> there, there, Even yeah. today, there are people that wish that people like me would be wiped off from the face of the planet forever. And that voice is growing, right? Um, so for to just acknowledge that to be alive is a miracle and to go out in the mountains with some friends and have a beautiful day out there. That's part of, I, I don't know how to sustain these really hard conversations without mm -hmm. something that balances it with connection and love and joy. I, I've burned out before and, and and I'm not very helpful I, I make messes when I'm burned out <laughs> right for any of us who've been through yes it's well and and like what a beautiful place to be able to be in something that feels more sustainable and having carved out the rules and boundaries for yourself so that you can feel really good about showing up and doing your work and you can also feel really good about balancing that with enjoying the other time that you have, whether it's like you said, making a meal, going for a run, spending time with family. It's um, I think that's what so many people are striving for. All right. Let's pause for a moment and hear from today's sponsor. Are you an entrepreneur who is on track to make a million or more in revenue this year in your business? 
If so, your business is likely facing a host of legal issues that are ripe for support. And if you are like so many of my clients at this level, you are likely tired of taking unnecessary risks and a DIY approach to legal support in your business. You're ready to tackle the mess of legal documents, fix legal gaps that you have. You want to take care of your IP, your clients, your business, and avoid unnecessary conflict and risk in the process. If this is you, and beyond just being an entrepreneur, you are a catalyst and are committed to your mission and your impact in the world, I invite you to get in touch. You could be a fit for my Catalyst Club a small business legal support program that I designed for my high-level clients just like you. You can find out more at LegalWebsiteWarrior.com. Just click on the Work With Me tab to learn more about the Catalyst Club and other ways that I support my clients. A fabulous group of world-changing entrepreneurs, I might add. You've done the initial legwork in your business, and now you want to soar. And you know that you can only go as high and as far as your legal foundation lets you go. So get in touch today. Hop over to LegalWebsiteWarrior.com. Click on the Work With Me tab. And if you have any questions, get in touch through the contact link on my site. I look forward to connecting. It would be a joy to support you on your path. I'd love to hear from you because I know before we hit record, you were talking about back to the folks in business who are really doing impact well and Mm. how it makes also a dramatic difference in their revenue and their bottom line versus folks. And I can't remember the language you used versus folks who are not quite giving it their all, right? (laughs) Businesses that are, and I was trying to clarify that, like, do you mean like greenwashing, still catering to the public? What is it? And yeah, I really would love to hear more of your thoughts around that conversation, because I still think there's a percentage of people who want to do impact-based business and are really afraid of what it means for their revenue, for their bottom line, right? Absolutely, Heather. Yeah. So like, think about a continuum. So on one end of a continuum in this like greenwashing or sustainability or conversation, um, I like to joke, some people put green lipstick on a pig and call it a sustainability plan, right? That there's that bird, like it's literally like that obvious. If you know what you're looking for, no, that's a pig. That's not, (laughs) you know, I'm looking at you oil companies, right? Like there's, there, there's some really heinous, uh, greenwashing. Um, and it's still very active and alive in the marketplace. And then on the other end of the continuum are people who've really deeply dived into that their business. Yes. It's about, you know, having enough revenue to live well. And, it's it, the, to increase that revenue is certainly something they're open to and maybe excited about or sometimes need to do, but it's less of the priority than impact and whatever mm-hmm. that impact area is. And and there's a very wide array of where business leaders or any particular organization land in that continuum. And there's a lot of fear and there's a lot at stake because like I said, this conversation went from being this like 
you know, on the fringe, there's a couple of people talking about it. Go back 10 years. There were some you go back 20 years. It was like nah, a few, but there was mostly <laughs> like academics or hippies or whatever. You go back 50 years, you know, they're small as beautiful, but there's not a whole lot of folks mm-hmm. who, so this has grown tremendously from this fringe conversation landed in the business world, disrupting things. We got airlines being fined by the EU $50 million at a time. Like the stakes are high, (laughs) right? Mm. So I just, if somebody's like, where do I fit? And I don't want to get this wrong. And, and like, I want, I'm also really excited about that. Like there's a lot of human emotions tied up into this conversation. And there's a lot at stake. So I just want to name that there's a big continuum and also just acknowledge that the the sort of the ground we're sitting on has shifted pretty radically especially quickly in the past 10 years we've hit some sort of critical mass and especially as younger folks in the the younger end and the millennials and the I was going to say I wanted and, I'm so glad that the millennials came into this conversation I was going to yeah. ask you because I see them as a really unique influence in the marketplace. Absolutely. And the younger you go, the more partially because of climate and other issues, they're like, whoa, our world is on fire. No, you can't do single bottom line business and pretend that's fine anymore. Right. So if anybody's listening and they're like, ooh, I'm scared. I don't want to touch that. One of the things I say is like, well, do you want to have, do you want to continue to have clients or customers who are under the age of 40? Because if you do, you might want to pay attention to this because otherwise they're going to not work for you or leave if they are work for you and they'll stop buying from you because in almost every domain, from where we get our energy to what clothes we wear to what food we eat, every sector is seeing rapid, radical, massive change. And that's me and my networks. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, Like, we're not taking no for it. Like, this is the only planet we've got right now. Our kids are at stake. Our grandchildren, like, we're not messing around. Like, we're going to disrupt these spaces as fast as possible. So you can try to play it safe. But Mm -hmm. there's some really smart people working on this with everything they got. So I'm going to encourage you to say, maybe that's not the safest plan, right? Let's yeah. just, we, there's some uncomfortable emotions and scary emotions, and I want to make room for those. But if somebody's like safety plan is, I'm just not going to deal with it. I'm going to do business as usual. I'm just going to tell you it's not going to work. I don't know mm-hmm. when that point is in your sector that it won't work, but in every single sector that anybody's making money in, talking ticketing platforms, like looking at you, Eventbrite, you know, Humanitix is a social impact ticketing platform that came from Australia and now is more used in Australia than Eventbrite. Mm -hmm. And they just came to the US and they're awesome. And I know Josh and like, like a freaking ticketing platform. You would think that that's not a space that could get disrupted and yet they're disrupting it massively. So I think part of it is to like just acknowledge the change, acknowledge the feelings, and then say, even though it's scary, even though I don't know how to navigate this, I still want to and maybe have to, I would say have to go into that terrain if I want to continue to thrive in business. Yeah. Well, what does it mean? Like if you're talking to the folks who let's say are just 
either in transition or going, you know what, I really want to do this better. I, I haven't learned how, I don't know how, where would you have them start? Yeah. So one resource that I can offer that's free on my site, mm-hmm. I share a, a free PDF that's called four questions every social entrepreneur needs to know. And I'll tell you folks what those questions are. We can talk about that, but it's, that's one resource. Um, and basically the four questions are why, mm-hmm. and that's most specifically your core values and an impact statement, your who Mentor mind says, when you try to help everybody, you wind up helping nobody, right? Mm-hmm. So the um, being more nuanced of who we're helping and continuing the through line, obviously my who is social entrepreneurs. Why? Mm-hmm. Because I have some core values in the world that I am really passionate about seeing. I think social entrepreneurs can move the needle more quickly than any other force on the planet because we're harvesting business, which is the biggest engine on the planet for our impact goals. So that's why my who is social entrepreneurs. You don't have to serve social entrepreneurs, but sync up your who with your why and things really start to get interesting. Then your what, what's your product or service? I see so many people try to build the thing before they have the Mm. values or the change they want to see in the earth or understanding who they want to help and what the nuances of the challenges that they're facing. Mm. So the technical name for it is then they don't have product market fit. They have a great product. See so many people I'm thinking of an entrepreneur I knew built this incredible platform, but didn't really have dialed in who the platform was for Mm. and eventually ran out of money. You know, he had a certain amount of startup money. He ran out and he's working for somebody else. He's he's fine. He's actually kind of happy. It took a lot of stress off of him, but he didn't have a clear sense of his why and his who. He built an incredible platform with just this gorgeous user interface and mm-hmm. all these features and no, he, he, barely anybody ever bought it. And he basically you know, spent his capital building this gorgeous thing that didn't really sync up with anyone, didn't have product market fit, and is now working for somebody else. Not that that's a crisis, but I think we can avoid it by being smart of answering these questions in order. And then the last question is how? How are we going to get that story in the marketplace? You and I both love podcasting, but there's so many opportunities to get that story in the marketplace from traditional media to YouTube channels, to newsletters, to social media. Mm. We have more opportunity. Our grandparents, I mean, you and I have our own radio stations, Heather, and our grandparents, if they wanted to build a radio station, that was an expensive prop for us. It's a podcast, <laughs> mic, and a subscription to a hosting company, right? And we're in business, right? Right. So, We have a lot of opportunities in the how question box. Yeah. Oh, massive. I think about, we had a little something talking about like heritage and family stuff. And so my kid, my son Aiden had to bring some things to school. And sometimes it's a little challenging. Like I look around and think about like other people's cultural roots and, you know, it can be a little hard sometimes as like a pretty white American, you know, like, huh, what makes my roots interesting? 
actually they overlap down there in the southwest with with your your area my interesting yes my great grandfather was one of the original 26 arizona rangers i realize not new mexico but he'd wow. go he'd regularly go into new mexico his part of their job was to round up kind of the last of the really bad western outlaws oh wow yeah and he was a really interesting person he he was a sharpshooter with a gun, but he never used his gun. Like, and he was, uh, anyways, he could rope, he could ride. He was really a, a cowboy through and through, but, um, he wrote a book. And of course, oh, wow. this is typewriter old, like very old school, you know, but it's thick. It's called, I think it's called line writer. You can actually find it on Amazon. I learned oh, all of God. this stuff. Yeah, that I did not know about my great grandfather just doing this little project with my son. Anyways, but I remember thinking like the amount of effort and time it took him to not only get the story down, but get it down in the right way. It takes so much more forethought, even working on a typewriter. And like you could see some of his strike through and revisions. It's really interesting because somebody why, has. Why didn't he strong. just use chat GPT? I don't know. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Right. I'm don't kidding, get me right? started on chat GPT. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it really like I looked at that as the behemoth effort that it was. And to yeah. like tell that story, it was not just his story, but the story of the West and of so many others that worked alongside him and. Anyways, but yeah, you think about today, oh my gosh, you can literally like, even you look at Otter, which both you and I use for our podcast, like turn on a machine that records and literally just creates the transcript for you. I mean, it's exactly. dramatically different, but yeah, yep. little side route. Um, So for the companies, and I love your walkthrough of the four questions the the one that I want to focus on is how do you write a good impact statement? Because I'm sure people mm. get that piece wrong, right? And you see the difference of what it does for the business, how it relates to their values, how it impacts the actual work that they do. Yep. Can you share with us a little bit about the the businesses that do that piece right and what about it makes it kind of the right way to do it? Totally. The, the first suggestion I'd have is to start with your core values. Don't start with an impact statement, but like, it's like situate the foundation. When, you, mm-hmm. when you're building a house, you don't come out of the ground until you have a strong, and the core values are your foundation. And when you get that landed, I've even seen clients start to move into some of the others while they're iterating on an impact statement and starting their who, okay, like, mm-hmm. let me talk to some of those folks and get the language down. So I just want to like give permission that that is um, something that oftentimes people, sometimes it just lands, but yeah. it, there's room to not have it as dialed in. Whereas like your core values, not that they don't change or you get better at but like, if you have no core values that you're able to be concise, mm-hmm. the folks that I really respect say three, maybe four max, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. you walk into a company and there's 12 core values on the wall. Like nobody remembers that <laughs> you look at mm-hmm. on the wall, you talk about it at your yearly, whatever. And you know, you do an offsite, you say, these are our core values. And everybody says, high five and nobody remembered. Like I have four of them. I could like, I'm not looking at them. We don't need to go into them, but I could tell you what they are. I use them in conversation every day. Right. So, so don't, you know, like that's the, 
that's the place to start and make sure mm-hmm. you feel comfortable with them. They're crisp. And you also know what they mean, whether you explicitly articulate what that means for you. For instance, social entrepreneurship is one of my core values. Yep. What I mean by it, I've thought about what does it mean to me and how am I um, articulating that in the marketplace? Yeah. Once you have that, then your core value, I'm sorry, your um, impact statement gets a little easier. For me, it's as simple as the world that I want to envision, that that I envision for our children. Business is the biggest engine and social entrepreneurship is the fastest way to get there. So to empower tens of thousands of new social entrepreneurs, that's my impact statement, right? Mm. It's, It's like, this is the value. This is the why I'm passionate about it. And just like help like tens of thousands at a time every year learn about how to get better at it make more money hire more people and better harness the energy like that's what i do all day anyway so it's not that complicated right <laughs> but i knew that because my core value mm-hmm. in that document that i was talking about how there are mm-hmm. examples everything from like how does harvard business school talk about it to how does a incubator that works almost entirely with people from marginalized communities um, but mostly for me, my suggestion is keep it simple and just make it relatable. You know, like this impact statement, if there are not just me, but if there's millions and tens of millions of social entrepreneurs in the world, here's the world, here, here's what I think the world looks like. Like it's very specific. And I see people sometimes get too caught up on, yeah, but I'm supposed to put a number. I want to empower X number of social entrepreneurs in the next 10 years. You know, that's fine too, but don't, it's more about, can you tell a story that somebody says, wow, Paul really cares about social entrepreneurship and here's why it's the biggest engine on planet earth. And if we harnessed it for good, then we turn the ship and we don't go off a cliff and our kids can live on this planet. If we don't turn the ship, we go off a cliff and it's going to be either hell to live here or it's going to be impossible for humans to live here. Pretty simple, right? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Came from my core values. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's awesome. And I, I speak in statistics all the time because I speak to small business owners as well. Right. And I think so often small businesses um, whether they're in the startup phase, whether they're more in the growth phase, but they they can still tend to undervalue their role in the marketplace. And it's like, you guys, small businesses are the marketplace. Like from a numbers perspective, small businesses make up 99.9% of Huge all businesses yeah. in the United States. Over the last 25 years, small businesses have created two out of every three of the jobs added to the marketplace, small businesses, right? We are the marketplace. And so, yeah, I love, I mean, I a hundred percent get your, like the way you connect the dots on that small businesses are the biggest engine. So question for you, because when you Mm -hmm. talk about this, you're really passionate about it. Like Mm -hmm. are, is your impact statement? somehow connected to those outcomes that small businesses bring into the world. hundred percent. I could tell, very, right? I could totally very, tell the way your face lit up, right? Yeah. Very similar to yours. And my, my top three values, I think I have five, but it's really like four ish because I, I kind of doubled up on one, but the top three are creativity, innovation, right? Those are very much related. What got us here will not get us there. 
We have to keep innovating. It's not even just about like innovating once and calling it good. It's innovation is the work, right? And then um, inclusivity, right? Serving, because the whole reason I built Legal Website Warrior was to make legal stuff accessible to people who do not get support from the traditional legal market. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah, but it's very much the same thing that small businesses are the way. Yeah. And small so, businesses so... can pivot quickly. They can they can change in a moment in a way that large businesses can't. They can create, you know, dramatic uh, movement and and really um, impact individual industries. Right. And they tend to listen to the communities that they're housed yeah. in way better than massive companies, way better, right? way better. Yes. They're not just like, go away with that problem. They're like, oh, let us hear the problem, right? Because yeah. they want to be the ones to fix it. They want to be the ones to turn that around. Exactly. So again, if somebody's listening and like, well, I don't know how to do an impact statement, like, you know, your core, you could tell them you're not looking at them on the wall reading, Mm -hmm. well, my first core value, right? Like, you know, them Mm -hmm. in yourself. So yeah, could, could either one of us polish our impact statement more if we wanted to? Yes. But again, that's just another live example. You know, your core values, how they're so assumed. And I could hear as soon as you were saying it, oh yeah, some of your impact. You didn't tell me your impact statement. I was like, your impact mm-hmm. statement is someone do small business, right? You're like, yeah, right. <laughs> How did I know that? Cause I could hear it in your core values. I could mm-hmm. hear it in the way you're talking about. And that like just magnifies a brand, right? When we have an impact statement, when you have core values, then we can start again, dialing in some of these other questions, but everything comes alive in a way that the brands that haven't done this, they sound flat. Even if there are core values on the wall, it feels like transactional. It feels like I'm just going through the motions. I want listeners to light it up, right? Your core values, they're yours. Don't apologize for them. Don't, you know, certainly we could like craft the wording and all that, but like, make sure they're you, make sure you really care about it. Make sure when you wake up in the morning and you're like, I'm going to work to do this, to move this needle, that you care about that needle. Not yeah. you think <laughs> the millennials are going to buy or the Gen Z are going to buy your thing because you told them a story. That's how you get a fine. And that's how the marketplace says, Paul, you're full of crap. We're not going to buy your consulting, right? But no, really be just genuine. These are my core values. This is the needle I want to move in terms of impact and then start getting into some of these other things. And the results are radically different, both in Mm. terms of engagement in the marketplace, revenue, people wanting to work for you, et cetera, et cetera. Mm, I love it so much. Um, so I really want people to come find out more about what you're up to, Paul, about your community, your podcast. Where do you like for people to find you online? So if somebody wants that PDF that we were talking about, yep. that's on my coaching consulting site, which is my name, paulzelizer.com. And like the gateway drug to everything I'm involved in, Heather, is the podcast. I've been doing it for six years, 285 episodes. Like if you are like, what's Paul up to? If you go listen to that, you're going to eventually figure out everything. You're going to hear about my trail running. It's so good. It's so good. Well, it's, you know, it's been really fun because I've known you for a few years now to hear about what you've done, even to grow that. And for folks that are listening, Paul's podcast is in the top 1% of the world in you know his area and it's just really is phenomenal you have such 
beautiful, thoughtful, mindful guests on, you know, you yourself are that way. It's a really unique place to be able to show up and spend time. Thank you, Heather. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. So we will share the link to your, um, the free guide, the four questions every social entrepreneur needs to know. And I'm going to go look at that myself. I don't think I've ever gone and like opted into that. And I want to take a look. Um, So I will share that. We're also going to share any, well, obviously the link to your podcast, the link to your website. Is there a place online that you like to spend time if somebody wants to connect with you? Social, LinkedIn. I'm a Mm. a LinkedIn person. I'm on Mm. other socials. But I'm not on other socials. Right. <laughs> if, like if he's LinkedIn on those other sites, it's to redirect you to LinkedIn. <laughs> well, like if you send me, somebody sent me a message on Instagram and they're like, you never got back to me. I'm like, you sent me a direct message on Instagram. That's not it. If you send me a direct message, a, a private message on LinkedIn, you're going to get a response. If you send me something on Instagram, <laughs> I mostly post pictures of trail running and my garden and like hanging out with my kid or, you know, my family lighting so Hanukkah good. candles and occasionally right. Podcast, don't send me a message on Instagram. Mm. If you want to do socials, LinkedIn is really the only place I spend quality time for yeah. business. No, it's so good. I love it. Consulting gigs that came to me, meetings for them, all in the mid five figures. They found me on LinkedIn in this week. I have meetings for just from LinkedIn, right? So uh, I know people are like, LinkedIn's so stodgy, yeah, but I can't get any business on social media. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to tell you. Yes. Go but study also, Paul on LinkedIn, study like, his habits, like, his methods. Yeah. Don't, don't get me started on LinkedIn, but like if you are a business owner, it is the most robust and largest professional networking opportunity the world has ever seen. The average LinkedIn user makes more money, has bigger decision-making power. They're more acumen. Like I, I fought it for years and then I was like, why am I fighting this? And the results that are happening, the longer I spend there, the more it turns out to be a really good decision to go there. (laughs) So whatever it's worth. (laughs) No, it's so good. It's the difference for me between like, Hey, can you answer this question to how do I hire you? How do I get a consult with you? Right. It's like, people are just, they're very, Hey, we have a five figure budget and we're trying to figure out who to spend it with. And will you give us a proposal and then can we meet about it? Yeah. I'll give you a proposal. And yes, I'd be happy to meet about it. Like that's a really nice conversation. I like that conversation as opposed to like, if I did one session with you, do you think we could cover these 27 things? Probably mm-hmm. not. Not to we'll cover as many as we can. Like very different flavor. And very I happen different. to like that flavor. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Um, so final question, and then I'll let you go. What is one thing that you wish more entrepreneurs and small business owners knew? Mm. The main thing I think that's changed for me and why I'm having more fun these days, Heather, Mm -hmm. is to identify who we want to help and to go where they are. Stop trying Mm -hmm. to get them to come to us and go play in the space. Like humans are incredibly relational social creatures. Mm -hmm. We gather around everything from social entrepreneurship to soccer, from beard and knitting, right? Humans gather. So once you figure out who your people are, instead of trying to get them to come to you, go to them. Mm. It's so much easier. There's so much less friction, right? And that can be 
in person, it can be being a podcast guest, which is one of my favorite marketing strategies for my clients. Like just go to them and be relational, have something to Mm -hmm. offer and things are going to go so much easier than trying to get people to come to you. Oh, I love that. It sounds so simple when you say it, but yet, right, so many people, I think, find it a challenge, but really beautifully put. Paul, I appreciate you. I'm so grateful to know you. I continue to be grateful all the time for our connection. Thank you so much for joining me again today. Thanks so much for having me, Heather. And again, congratulations for holding (laughs) this community through a podcast for all this time. It's just, I, I celebrate you and thank you. Thank you. It is exciting. And now I feel embarrassed that I didn't know my own podcast is almost three years old. I know. So (laughs) I had to really think about that for a minute. Did you you start in 2021 or 2020? 2020. Yeah. So it's almost three years. It was like we're March. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Because in 2020, there was a time you couldn't even buy a podcast, a decent podcast mic anywhere on planet Earth, because everybody's like, oh, we're on lockdown. I'm going to start a podcast. And you couldn't even buy a microphone. So I I remember that. I was like, wow, this is why you 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 had a you had a COVID baby and it was a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm never saying that. I've never said it that way, but it's so much better. It's so much funnier. Oh my gosh. I love that. Thank you, Paul. Such a joy to see you. Thanks, Heather. Thank you for joining us today on the Guts, Grit, and Great Business Podcast. We hope that we've added a little fuel to your tank, some coffee to your cup, and pep in your step to keep you moving forward in your own great adventures. For key takeaways, links to any resources mentioned in today's show and more, see the show notes, which can be found at LegalWebsiteWarrior.com slash podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And if you enjoyed today's conversation, please give us some stars and a review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast so others will find us too. Keep up the great work you are doing in the world, and we'll see you next week.